What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school, you're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Kesha and the Creepies is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, Creepies. Today, we are talking to Caroline Watt. Dr. Caroline Watt is one of the leading parapsychologists in the world. She's currently a professor of parapsychology at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. So here's the creepy backstory. In 1983, Andrew Colster and his wife Cynthia killed themselves. And in a suicide pact, they left their estate to support the study of the paranormal. This led to the creation of the parapsychology unit at the University of Edinburgh. Dr. Watt, who we're speaking with today, wrote a letter to the chair of the unit as she joined the parapsychology department upon graduating from the university. Just so you guys know, we are across oceans from each other and my internet is shitty. So there are moments that get a little funky, but it also might just be a ghost because we're talking about this. So here we go. Today here at Kesha and the Creepies, we have a very special guest. I would like to welcome all the way from Edinburgh, Professor and Doctor Caroline Watt. <laughs> you worked hard for those titles. I'm going to give you both. Oh, just call me Caroline. Caroline. Well, I'm so excited to have you here to talk to you. 
I have like 5 billion questions. And I think just to start off with for our listeners, can you explain what parapsychology is? So I'm a professor of parapsychology at Edinburgh University. And parapsychology is the scientific study of paranormal experiences. So it's quite an unusual thing to find at university, but Edinburgh is one of the few places in the world where you can study parapsychology. Why do you think there? out of everywhere in the world? Well, we have a bit of a track record. I mean, apart from the fact that, of course, Scotland has got lots of ghosts. Um, we, we have a, a track record in our um, our department, the psychology department, which is where I work. Um, for many years, we've had academics at that department who've studied the paranormal. So um, I think Edinburgh's kind of got more of an open mind, if you like, to, to these uh, ideas than many universities might have. And then you pivoted into parapsychology. That's right. Uh, I mean, I, I got into parapsychology out of curiosity as a psychologist. So I did my first degree in psychology and I wasn't taught anything about parapsychology in that degree. But um, I knew as a psychologist that lots of people had paranormal beliefs and experiences. So I was just really curious as a psychologist about what lies behind these experiences, you know, is is there any truth to them? Is, are there genuine paranormal and psychic abilities? And I suspected also that there would also be a lot of psychology in these experiences. So it was really curiosity that brought me into the field. Well, because I have had some strange experiences myself and sometimes I wonder because I definitely have anxiety. So sometimes if something I'm very anxious about ends up happening, then am I psychic or am I just super anxious <laughs> and just very prepared for the worst? Yeah, I mean, that's a good example because for ex if, if you have something that you're worried about, even subconsciously, it can work its way into your mind and into your dreams, for instance. So you might dream about something that you're, you're worried about. And if that happens, if it comes true the next day, you may feel that you know the dream is predicting the future. But you, one of the things that we found in our research is that people dream about all sorts of things and they tend to forget the dreams that don't come true. Yes. And so most of our dreams don't come true and we, we notice the occasions when they do come true because it's really striking and that makes us think, oh, maybe I predicted that in my, in my dreams. So there is some evidence that we forget a lot of our dreams and we're a bit selective about what we remember. Well, especially if it does come true, like you're saying, then it feels almost like playing a machine at a casino or something where you remember the time you won, but there's so many times you didn't. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's a good analogy. <laughs> In your field of work, do people scoff at you or is it like how are you how is what you do received in like psychology world in the world where you're dealing with doctors and you're also dealing with paranormal people i'm sure always have a bunch of questions as i do for you but i also just wonder if your peers how did they treat you well, it's funny, you know, if, if I'm on an aeroplane, um, I tend not to tell the person next to me what I do, because you get all the stories, a bit like if you were a doctor, you know, a medical yeah. doctor, and you say I'm a doctor, and they say, oh, I've got this sore 
approach. Can you have a look at it? Yeah. So I, I tend, you know, if I want peace and quiet, I tend to keep it to myself what I do. But regarding my peers, my academic colleagues, those that I work with um, know, and this is why we have parapsychology at Edinburgh, they, they know that we're actually good scientists. So we're good researchers just like they are. But you have to probably have personal contact with the researcher to realize that. It's, a, it's just like any other prejudice or stereotype right. that if you don't get to speak to the people that you have ideas about, then the ideas can be quite mistaken. So I think for parapsychology, for it to thrive in, in the sort of scientific world, psychologists like me have to be embedded within psychology departments and other university departments to break down prejudices because there definitely is a lot of negative baggage associated with the p word you know some parapsychologists don't even like using the word parapsychology because they think it's already got sort of toxic um, associations looking more into parapsychology and especially your background, it really interested me because from what I've heard, maybe this has changed. You have not had an experience with anything paranormal in your personal life. Not personally, no. It was it was just curiosity, sort of intellectual curiosity. And it was the psychologist in me that brought me into parapsychology. And the, the word parapsychology gives you a clue, you know, that there is a lot of psychology in there. So the two are quite close closely related in, in many ways. Um, I do know, you know, some parapsychologists who had an experience that kind of made them curious and that that's what brought them into the field. But a lot of them are kind of maverick people. They're quite independent minded. They're just adventurous, curious people. They might not even have had a personal experience. So they, they just know this is a kind of area where you can do exciting things and, um, you know, explore strange ideas and make an impact as well, because it's a relatively small field. So you, you can make an impact because you're a, yourself, um, you know, a, a big fish in a small bowl, if you like. Yes. To me, that seems like that would have a huge impact on people and our base fears of death and the unknown of the afterlife in religion, which is something that holds a lot of communities and cultures and people together. And I just think that if you could scientifically back that there was a paranormal experience that is truly unexplainable, there are so many minds that could be changed because you see the ghost hunting shows and they're very addictive and they're really fun and all of that. But I think what you're doing is looking at it all with this skeptical, scientific, but open mind. That's right. We're trying to, I mean, the problem is what we, we call them spontaneous experiences. That is real world psychic or seemingly psychic experiences. And you might include ghost experiences in that. These are actually very difficult to study in any controlled way because they happen un unpredictably. And, you know, you might take a TV crew along, but, you know, you can't see everything that's going on behind the camera. So, to, to persuade the scientific community, we, we think that you need to move into the laboratory and, and do more controlled studies. And of course, when you do that, you're creating a much more artificial situation. So there's a bit of a trade-off because you lose a lot of the drama, perhaps the emotional connection that you might need in a real world psychic experience. You get a kind of watered down version. I think it's important that researchers study the paranormal in the laboratory situation because 
it's much more controlled. You you're not losing. Uh, you lose a lot in terms of the uh, emotional impact of the event. You're studying a kind of watered down version of a, a psychic experience in the lab. But I think you need that kind of control in order to persuade the scientific community that there might be something to psychic abilities. In the real world, um, spontaneous psychic experiences are more dramatic, but they're also much harder to study in any controlled way. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. I read a statistic, and you would know better than I, but about 50% of people believe in the paranormal or in ghosts. Is that about right? That's about right, yes. Um, and that that's taken very broadly. So that would include, for example, traditional religious beliefs. So believing in a God or believing that you can pray and heal someone or have things happen uh, that you want because of prayer, these would also be regarded as paranormal beliefs. So there's quite a wide definition of what, what um, you know, psychologists would count as, as a paranormal belief. And of that 50%, about half of the, these people believe they've had a paranormal experience. So that means if you look, you know, you're walking along the street, you're looking at the people around you, about one in four, 
will have had what they think is a paranormal experience. And that, that's, to me, why it's obviously of interest to psychologists to study. So even if you have a spiritual experience or a very religious experience or even participate in praying, that you would be part of the 50%. Yes, that would be counted as part of the 50% because of the aspect that, um, you know, the, the sense of, of influence where one person wishes something and something happens, that would be a paranormal claim. So if you pray for uh, something to happen, like a person to be healed, there have been studies, for example, looking at the power of prayer, and they, they come under the category of parapsychology because there's no obvious normal mechanism to explain, you know, if people get better through prayer, you know, what else is going on if it's not paranormal? Mm, I have so many questions. Um, so I have a song called Praying, which is just ironic that we're talking about this, but I do find myself either talking to my higher conscious, just like the best version of myself or whatever's out there or the universe. I don't really like to put a label on it because I don't know what it is. And it does bring me kind of back down to earth. It makes me feel better. And like I was saying before, humans have such a fear of death. I think it's what drives most people in life. At least for me, what I see, it's wanting to leave a legacy and do something great while you're here because we all know that we only have a finite amount of time. So opening up the parapsychology of it, it's opening up religion, you're opening up people's minds to the afterlife. And so in your heart, are you trying to prove that it exists or are you trying to prove that it doesn't or do you not know? Are you open? Like, are you atheist? Are you religious? Are you just... Well, you're, you're being very broad there, Kesha, because yeah, you, you're, <laughs> you're saying it. Do you believe in it? But the it, you know, we're, we're talking about a whole load of different things. So life after death for example, the, the possibility of surviving, uh, some, some form of our personality surviving after our physical bodies has died. That's one hypothesis. We call that the survival hypothesis. And reincarnation would be part of that, the idea that you survive and then you kind of come back. Um, but there's also the sort of psychic abilities of the living. For example, extrasensory perception, the claim that people can read one another's minds and then another thing that parapsychologists study is called psychokinesis or PK, that's mind over matter. So it's the claim that people can influence physical objects or heal other people by thought alone or by willpower alone. So when you ask me, Kesha, what do I think, you know, what am I trying to prove or it depends what part we're looking at. So the survival question, for example, I, ha I have not personally done any research into survival the idea of life after death. But I, I, having looked at the research that's been done, I, I found it's not, to me, it's not convincing that there's any scientific evidence. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> but from what I've, I've seen, um, the evidence is not, not there yet. And that might just be because it's a very hard area to, to look into. And of course, there's a question of faith, which is not a scientific question, and we, we can't even you know study that. But for the other area, the, you know, where I'm actually doing my research, extrasensory perception, so the idea of telepathy or, or people communicating, um, I'm t my work is actually testing that hypothesis. So I'm not setting out to prove that it exists. So I've, I've got a question in mind when I do a study, which is, you know, if we set up an experiment to see if people can communicate with one another at a distance, you know, 
can they do it if we set up uh, in a careful way um, so we test we put we put them to the test and see if they can actually um, communicate for example the contents of a video clip or a, a postcard that's been randomly chosen so it's about testing the hypothesis and then if we get evidence you know we don't say oh that proves it we just say this study proved ev provided evidence in support of the hypothesis so it's all very kind of carefully worded because I think when you do science, you have to do you know small steps, baby steps all the time, and just try, try to be very careful in what you're claiming. I was reading a book, and only a percentage of communication is actually verbal anyways. A lot of it can be visual, how you're holding your body, if you're crossing your arms. If you say something, you could say it 20 different ways, and your tone can be saying something so different. So when you do those studies, are people able to see each other or are they in separate places? They have to be separated for exactly that reason that there's so much communication that's going on non-verbally. Um, so we do these experiments with two people, a sender and a receiver, and they're in two separate rooms. And the sender can hear the receiver, but the receiver can't hear the sender. So um, we're, we're trying to stop the possibility that there's any normal communication available. So that includes um, all the senses that we, we know about. You have to be really careful when you do these experiments that you're not inadvertently allowing communication to happen. So uh, yeah, we, ha we have to be very cautious. Would the two people know each other? The studies have tried it in different ways. So um, there are better results when the sender and the receiver know each other. Well, because I'm thinking of if me and my best friend I know her so well. I've known her since I was seven. So if you put us in two separate rooms, you could put us across the country from each other. And I bet one out of 10 times I could guess something that she was yeah. thinking about because I know her so well. Yeah. I feel like the energy that she can put off even in silences, there can be an energy put off from someone you know really well. What you're saying is very important, which is that people who know each other very well can anticipate each other's thoughts and that's different from psychic often so for example a married couple who've lived together for years say that you know they they can finish each other's sentences practically because they know each other's thoughts so well um, and and the way that we deal with that in our experiments is that the thing that the sender is sending has to be randomly chosen so we don't allow the sender we don't say go into this room and think of a draw a picture draw any picture because there's a fairly good chance if you know each other very well that you'd be able to guess what she's drawing like one out of ten yes I totally know <laughs> yeah yeah easy easy um, so what we do is we have a, a pool of maybe a hundred pictures and the sender is given one randomly uh, so they don't they, they don't know what they're going to get. And they don't get to choose it. They don't get to choose it. But you're quite right. If they did get to choose it, then that would change the chances of success in the experiment because their preferences might match your preferences. In the research that you've done, has it changed your mind at all? Or are you still neutral? Or do you try to stay as neutral as you can? Or do you find yourself being swayed in one direction or the other? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what I've changed. I'm not convinced yet. That the, 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 I mean... I'm talking about extrasensory perception studies. That's where I think the strongest evidence is. So there are studies that look at mind over matter using, it sounds really boring, but using random number generators and they have very, very weak effects in them. And I, I've, I don't find them very persuasive studies. But the ESP studies using what's called the Gansfeld method 
are quite interesting. And that, that's the Gansfeld is a kind of mild sensory isolation procedure. So you have red light shining on your face, you wear headphones, you've got a mask over your eyes, and you essentially, the receiver in this experiment, basically just relaxes and free associates. They just describe what comes to their mind. So it's not like try to guess what the sender is sending. It's just describe what's in your head. And these experiments have got quite a long track record. And on, on the whole, they've, they've got fairly positive results. So I'm, I'm following up on, on that with my own work. So my, my um, view is that there's definitely something there in these experiments, but we don't really have much clue as to what's going on. We know we've seen some patterns. So for example, studies with selected participants do better than studies with unselected participants. So what that means is that people who are um, believe in the paranormal, who have had paranormal experiences, and who may have practiced some kind of mental discipline, such as meditation, or who are interested in their dreams and keep a dream diary, these participants tend to do better in these experiments than just a random person pulled in off the street. So there are some, there's some um, patterns, if you like, that suggest there's something going on, but we don't really understand what it means. <laughs> So it's almost like being open to it. It could be. It could be that it was, it's a kind of a weird experience doing that experiment, you know, sitting in a comfy chair, you do a relaxation exercise and you've got this red light on, you've got goggles on your eyes and you're speaking out loud while someone else listens to you. It's a bit like dreaming, but, you know, someone's in the room taking notes at the same time. And it's a weird experience. Maybe it's simply the case that people who are creative are, or who are good at meditating are more relaxed in that environment and are better able to notice what's going on inside their head and better able to describe what's going on. So we're not quite sure why these people do better. And that's, you know, that's one of the things that our work is trying to look at. When I think of psychic abilities, it also ties into me with telepathy, like being able to communicate both ways and being cynical about it might actually keep you from being able to experience certain things from what you're saying that's what i'm gathering a little bit yeah yeah i think i think that's the case um there's there's research that suggests that people who we, we call it we have funny terms in parapsychology we call it sheep and goats <laughs> so the sheep are the believers okay. and the goats goats are the disbelievers and it's actually from it's a biblical metaphor it's, it's, it's from a, from a, the day of judgment i think so the sheep are, are the believers and the goats are the disbelievers and there's some evidence that we, we actually call it the sheep goat effect in our studies that um the sheep on the whole tend to score more positively than the goats wow. <laughs> so the people who disbelief tend not to do so well and it, I, I, do, I, I do think in the real world people who are um, sort of cynical and sceptical I'm sure they have weird experiences I sure, I'm sure they do but I think they probably find a way to explain them away or to account for them um, so you know it's not only the believers have strange experiences or paranormal experiences I think everybody does but we have different ways of interpreting these experiences in my personal life, usually the women I'm around, we like to talk about this stuff more than men. Is that me just generalizing or have you found that to be true? That is true. It's not true that in the lab, if you do a controlled experiment, women and men score at the same level. 
But when it comes to who is willing to send in reports of experiences or who writes to the parapsychology labs, it's more women than men who report experiences. And I, I think that may be not because women are more psychic than men, but because culturally it's more acceptable for women you know we, uh, the stereotype is that we're more kind of in tune with our emotions and we're more intuitive we're more willing to talk about these things so i think that makes women more likely to report paranormal experiences than men so it's, it's not that they have more experiences but they're more willing to talk to other people about them right just because of the stereotype of being emotional being very open about it it's quite hard to know where the psychic comes in there because you it's very hard to separate what's normal and um, knowing each other's habits and sharing personalities and sharing genetics and then what's the paranormal so it's really really difficult to to separate these two out well also i would think especially genetics like my brother we do share the same mother so we were raised in the same household and the nature versus nurture of human beings and the psychology behind that is our mothers are very open about all of these kinds of topics and nothing was off the table versus I know some people that grew up in a home opposite of that, where it was just very pragmatic or less inclined to just talk about this kind of stuff all day. Yeah. I mean, I think when it, when you're trying to judge if this is a paranormal or a psychic communication or not, it's easier if the event is unexpected. So it's a bit like I was saying when we do our experiments, we have a sender and a receiver and they, the sender has a, a randomly selected target. So the receiver can't guess what, what they're, they're going to be thinking about. And I think it's the same in life. If something really unexpected happens, like, I don't know, you, you, you know, you break your ankle walking off the curb or, you know, you're, Bitten, your hand gets bitten by a dog or something unexpected and your brother or your mother or your family member gets that feeling then that's that's more likely to be psychic for me because it's unexpected it was coming out of the blue so it seems more like a kind of dramatic communication at that point out of the ordinary exactly not something we would talk about all the time not something that happens all the time yeah has there been anything you've seen that has just completely blown your mind well, I've, I've taken part in experiments where, um, you know, I was a sender. And it was Gansfeld experiments, actually, and um, uh, my friend was the receiver. And there was one, in fact, it was the other way around. I was the receiver. So I was a person relaxing with the red lights and everything. And, I, you know, I'm not someone who thinks that they're psychic, but I, and I normally don't get very vivid mental imagery at all. So I close my eyes, I don't really see anything. But this one time I closed my eyes and I kind of got this very clear image of a peacock feather and I thought it was so clear and unusual for me and I just said it's a peacock feather and she said yes, you know, the sender, that's what the sender wow. was looking at. So, you know, I've had I've had a striking experience which was quite unusual because it was nothing like, um, you know, Normally, it's not as clear as that in the lab. <laughs> so I've had that kind of experience, but it's been in a, in a controlled environment. So I can't, you know, I don't believe it was just a coincidence. Um, you know, I, I've taken part in experiments. And I've also run experiments where overall I've done, um, you know, a, a precognition st study with the Gansfeld, which is about getting impressions about f a future target that you will see at the end of the session. So you lie back, you relax, you describe what's going on inside your head. And at the end of the session, we randomly select a film clip and show it to you. And then we judge the similarity between your impressions and the film clip. And I've done that and got uh, with 60 people 
um, what we say statistically significant results, meaning that we got more successful um, identifications of the picture than you would get by just chance. So I, you know, I've seen I've seen that, and that makes me think that, the, that it's worth pursuing this line of research because you know I think something is going on. I am really fascinated with the psychology of people why people are the way they are, why they are who they are. Because if there was ever proof of a paranormal, like a spirit haunting, it'd be opening the door to something so huge for humanity. I mean, there's a lot of different ideas. But if, if you do see a ghost, I mean, I'm actually reading a book at the moment, which is, it's about, um, it's called The Haunting of Alma Fielding. And it's a, a story, it's a true story about a parapsychologist who investigated a woman called Alma Fielding who had a lot of poltergeist experiences around her. Um, so, you know, objects would fly off the shelves and so on. And he, he was a psychologist, but he, he tended to think of it as not a spirit, but as a, a, a sort of psychological projection from Alma of her desires and traumas, if you like. So there are some, you know, if you see a ghost or a poltergeist, it doesn't mean there's proof of the afterlife. It could mean some energy that's creating the effects around you. So there's different theories, basically, to, to explain ghosts. Like one's energy could become so powerful that you are sending or receiving an image, but that's not actually proof of afterlife. It could just be you're wanting to. It could be the living. I mean, if you think, um, you know, there's a theory of, about poltergeist, which is this idea of you know objects moving around. Um, you know, for many years, parapsychologists thought that maybe the the focus person that you know, that it seemed to center on the phenomena centered on they they thought was that like an adolescent person and the theory was that well this adolescents have kind of a lot of turmoil going on a lot of repressed energies and feelings and um, that that might be expressed through um, you know instead of them actually physically acting out they psychically act out around them so that's one theory you know behind the poltergeist what is the definition of a poltergeist because when you say poltergeist I get so many different images in my head from different movies and books yeah well it's a German word polter means noisy and geist means ghost, so it's a noisy ghost. So it's basically a rowdy ghost that sort of throws things around, you know, affects physical objects, moves furniture around, throws plates across the room. It seems to centre usually on a person. Uh, you know, it's, it doesn't sort of occur randomly. It seems to uh, there's like an outbreak in a household and then it goes on for a few weeks and then it kind of usually peters out. Um, so the thought was that it might focused on a particular person. That's what parapsychologists have, have thought might be going on. But the problem with these events is that they, you know, they, they start off, they're quite dramatic, but over time they, they gradually wane. And so they're actually quite hard to study because again, they're un, unpredictable. And then typically the parapsychologist might come along with a camera and then nothing happens, you know. Then they leave the room and the plate levitates, you know. <laughs> Right. Or as you were saying before, it could be that you're so full of some sort of emotion that your energy is literally making things fly off the walls. And then maybe after you do that for a couple of weeks, then you've calmed down like a good therapy session. Yes, exactly. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now wherever you're listening. There was a place near Edinburgh. Oh, Hampton Court. Oh, yes. I have heard that some places do seem to have one specific kind of haunting and something that people see over and over. It's a reoccurring thing. And it's generally everyone sees a woman Mm. in the corner or everyone hears footsteps in this one room. I don't actually know that much about Hampton Court. And the underground vaults. So I was wondering if you could just talk about that. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the, there's a little bit of a difference between a ghost and a haunting. So let, let's sort of deal with that first of all. So a ghost yeah. might just be a, a kind of um, a, a experience that might happen just once in one particular location where you see a figure, for example, or you hear something and you think there's nobody actually there. But a haunting is where there's a repeated event at a particular location. And so there's certain locations, typically, of course, historical locations where they develop a reputation for being haunted because lots of people have seen the same thing there um, or have had lots of unusual experiences. And Hampton Court Palace um, in Surrey um, has... uh, quite you know it's got 500 years of history <laughs> so there have been plenty of um henry king henry's wives have been beheaded there and that's not very nice no no he was he was harsh he was harsh uh, anyway so it had the haunted gallery in hampton court so-called because catherine howard one of henry VIII's wives um she sort of was found committing adultery and then was sentenced to death and she ran to the king to plea for her life and was dragged screaming along this 
this gallery and then in later of course she, she was beheaded and then in later years um, people would see this figure um, walking the gallery so we did an experiment there this is work that I did with Professor Richard Wiseman who I've collaborated with quite a lot and we asked it was really about the, the psychology of ghostly experiences so it was not a vigil so it's not the sort of thing you usually see on telly where a bunch of people sit in a haunted location with a camera and wait for things to happen what we did was we um, we got the um, warder of the, the palace so this is the people who kind of know they take tour guides around the tours around and they know where people report the experiences right. we gave them a floor plan of two areas the haunted gallery and the Georgian rooms and we got them to mark on the floor plan where it is that people report strange experiences and there were clusters you know where people were reporting these experiences so we had this kind of map and then we gave people um, members of the public a blank map and we asked them to walk around the space and to mark on their map where they were having experiences like feeling chills or sensing a presence or um, hearing uh, feeling a touch you know so we were interested to see whether people agreed you know with the the warders what the history was you know where the haunted experiences were happening and we found that yes they did agree even though and we one of the things we wondered was well is it because they've read the the, the tour guide book and right. we asked people that question before they did the experiment uh, some people had no idea of the history and some people did so we only looked at the data for those who had no idea and they showed exactly the same pattern wow so that was that was very interesting because that suggests that there's something about these locations that are causing people to have an unusual experience because they agree it's not random it's uncertain parts of the, the, the room where they're saying, oh, I feel cold here. So that was one of the things that we did. And then we, we did a follow-up experiment with a similar kind of idea in the underground vaults in Edinburgh. And the Hampton Court study was like in broad daylight. It was kind of busy, um, lots of tourists mulling around. It was quite surprising that lots of the people in our experiment had strange experiences, given it was actually quite a kind of bustling well, it's not spooky. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't spooky. It wasn't spooky. But the Emperor vaults are, are spooky. You know, they're kind of dark. They're damp. And they're kind of underground. They're, art, they're kind of underground caverns underneath a bridge. There's another one that's called Mary King's Close, which is quite a good tourist attraction. It's kind of an underground street. And it also is reputedly haunted. But that, that one is not a kind of ghost tour. It's quite a historical tour. I would recommend that. I'm not, I have no personal um, investment in this, by the way, folks. <laughs> um, but the underground vaults, what we did was we got, again, we got the tour guides because people were taking um, tours around the vaults and they had kind of built up a dossier, if you like, of where in the vaults, which one, there were 10 vaults, 20, 10 rooms, which was the most spooky in where most people were getting experiences. And we ranked, ordered the 10 vaults from the most to the least haunted. So we had what we called our haunted order. Yeah. <laughs> and then we got individuals of the public individually went to one of the 10 vaults and then they would spend about 10 minutes in there and with a questionnaire you know write down what they were experiencing and we were uh, we found that their uh, reports matched the haunted order so the same thing essentially with slightly different design same thing as the Hampton Court Palace um, study that people were agreeing which was the haunted vault which was the scariest vault to be in and which was the least haunted. So is that when you say scariest vault 
to least haunted. So is that according to historical, like the most messed up things happened per room? Yes. It's 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 not it's not that there were historical events happening there. It's not like you know there was a slaughter in the in yeah. one room and and you know the other room was a bakery. Not that. It was more that when people visited these rooms before our experiment, there were more ex- strange experiences happening in one vault compared to another one. So it was it was a track record, if you like, the ghost track record of the vaults. And we were basically finding, um, even when we had people who had no knowledge beforehand of what was in the vaults, they still agreed um, where the strange experiences were happening. So to us, that suggested that actually there's something about the environment, not necessarily anything ghostly, something about the shape and the, the lighting and the temperature and the humidity of the, the vaults that may contribute towards people having um, chilling, weird experiences. Um, we did find, and both studies found, that the majority of the experiences that folk were reporting were to do with changes in temperature, usually feeling chilled, but you know sometimes it would be the other way around, feeling unusually hot. So that might be something to do with the environment that they're in. Well, I assume like the ventilations, lighting, or if a room is just colder because it's in a different floor or whatever, those kind of things. I'm sure you've thought of all of those things. <laughs> well, we have, but I mean, I think these are quite subtle things. You're not, for example, if you're in a room, you you maybe not consciously thinking about, you know, how light or how dark the room is relative to light in the corridor outside. And we, we found that that was one of the factors that seemed to influence. I think what might be happening, at least, in, you know, this doesn't explain all ghosts at all, but you know, what, what we observed was that people may be unconsciously responding to subtle things in their environment without being aware of it. It's not that there was like a, a wind blowing through, but, you know, there could be quite subtle, even things like geomagnetic activity. So, you know, yeah. Um, you know, very, very subtle kind of environmental things that we, we, we don't normally pay any attention to may be having some influence on us. And another, another study, if I've got time to mention, it's not a study that, that I did, but it was about infrasound. Um, so this is someone called Vic Tandy who found that he was working in a workshop um, and he noticed he kept getting this kind of blurring in his vision and he kept seeing a figure off to his, to his right and um, he felt it was haunted. He felt it was quite a spooky experience. And then uh, one day he had um, one of these big fencing swords, you know. Foil. A foil, that's it, thank you. <laughs> he had it clamped in this workshop and he noticed it started to vibrate. And he was an engineer, so he was kind of curious, why is it kind of vibrating? And he moved it up and down the workshop and he discovered that there was a kind of a standing wave. So there was a very low energy sound wave in the workshop that you couldn't hear. It was too low for our auditory system, but the, it was the foil was picking it up. And he discovered that there was a, a new air conditioning system had been put in. This big kind of fan was creating a kind of vibration or a, a low energy vibration in the room. And that he believed, and there's evidence from elsewhere as well, that that can cause kind of strange visual effects because it can affect your, the, your eyeballs. Yeah. So he, he thought that it started off as a kind of haunting experience, but he, he believed that he found a, a kind of physical explanation for it. But it took a little bit of detective work. You know, it wasn't at all obvious. What the, what the cause was. Right. It's just so interesting as you're talking, I'm thinking of crystals and how certain kinds of stones could be 
have different pulls depending on yeah. what your body is made out of. So you have to take all of this into consideration, which I'm sure you do. It's just such a fascinating line of work. I mean, it seems like it would never get boring. It never does get boring. No, no. Except if I've got 150 essays to mark. Oh, geez. Okay. Well, I will let you go. But I just wanted to, are you a spiritual person or religious person? No, I, I, I like Mother Nature. You know, I love the environment and, you know, the, the planet. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not uh, a spiritual person, I don't think. Even in like these psychic moments, does it make you feel more connected to anything inside yourself or anything else or to the other person? Well, I suppose I'm normally the person who's running the experiment rather than yeah. having the experience myself. <laughs> Have you ever had an experience where it just like sent chills up your spine and it just made you feel like, oof, maybe there is something. Yeah, yeah, I had, I mean, actually, um, so one of the things I did with Richard Wiseman again was um, that we were doing a kind of theatrical event, which was a, a recreation of a Victorian seance. Okay, so, so never a dull moment in my, in yeah, my job. Yeah, sounds great. It sounds so fun. <laughs> so, and, and what we were doing was, it was kind of an experiment because, you know, we were... We weren't trying to raise any spirits, okay? I, I, without giving any secrets away, I was kind of helping out behind the scenes, shall we say? And I had to hide. So I was like a kind of secret accomplice. And I had to hide in the... It was down down in Mary King's Close, actually. And I was down there on my own, waiting for the group to arrive, and I could hear footsteps around me. And um, I thought, that's really strange because I know there's nobody else here. And yet I, I could hear the footsteps. So that was definitely a, you know, a hair standing off at the back of my neck experience. Oh, my gosh. Well, I definitely would love to check in in like five years and see what other creepy things you experience. Because I bet if you're opening yourself up to it, as you said, you might be receiving more creepy things in your life. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Well, I just want to say thank you very much. If you would like to tell our listeners where to find you or more information about you, now would be the time. Just okay. you can tell them where to go, like a website or... Kessler Parapsychology Unit. That's our website. And on that, you can find a little bit more about what we do. And hopefully you might be able to get involved. Great. Well, if you ever need somebody to study, I'm your girl. Great. Well, thank you so much. And thanks for inviting me. It's been fun. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 
Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.